You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday, the 30th of November. This is Money Talk on Radio 3 for the final time this month. COVID infections on the mainland have dropped for the first time in more than a week. Health officials reported 38,421 new cases on Tuesday, down from a record high of over 40,000 reported the previous day. And from today, the city of Zhengzhou, home to Foxconn's iPhone City, will remove so-called mobility controls and businesses will be allowed to resume operations. The recent turmoil at the Foxconn plant may have cost Apple 6 million iPhone units in lost output. China has announced plans to boost the vaccination rate amongst the elderly. According to a statement yesterday from the National Health Commission, Health authorities will promote vaccinations in places such as nursing homes and make those unwilling to get inoculated provide a reason for their refusal. However, it will stop short of mandating compulsory vaccinations. At a briefing in Beijing, the first by the top health body since the protests, National Health Commission's Commission spokesman Mi Feng said local authorities must avoid excessive COVID curbs and China must reduce the inconvenience caused by COVID on the economy. Taiwan's economy expanded 4.0% year-on-year in the third quarter of 2022, below the preliminary estimate of an advance of 4.1% and accelerating from the downwardly revised 2.95% growth in the previous quarter. Taiwan's statistics office said on Tuesday the economy is likely to grow more slowly than previously forecast this year and next year. And HSBC has agreed to sell its business in Canada to Royal Bank of Canada for 13.5 billion Canadian dollars. That's 10 billion US dollars in cash. HSBC said it may return some of the proceeds of the sale to shareholders via a one-off dividend or buyback from early 2024 onwards after the deal has closed. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Allcroft, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks edged lower ahead of remarks from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell later today and November's employment report due to be released on Friday. The S&P 500 fell for a third straight session, losing 0.2%, ending the day at 3,958. The Dow closed just three points higher at 33,853. The Nasdaq Composite shed 0.6% to close at 10,984. The Pan-European Stock 600 index dropped 0.1%. In London, the FTSE 100 was up half a percent. Hong Kong shares jumped the most in two weeks as COVID street protests across China dissipated and five further support measures for the real estate sector were announced. Stocks extended their gains after China's health authorities released a plan to boost elderly vaccination. The Hang Seng Index surged 907 points, that's 5.2%, to 18,205. The rally was led by property developers and tech giants. Hong Kong's benchmark index now is on track to post its best month since April 1999. So far in November, it's gained 24%. 
The tech index rocketed 7.7% higher. The Shanghai Composite Index added 2.3% to 3,150. Shares of CanSino Biologics, a drug maker that's rolling out a vaccine that can be inhaled, rose by over 6% after health authorities said they will use big data to identify elderly people who need the vaccine. Property developers were boosted by news that China's securities regulator will end a 2015 moratorium on equity financing by property developers as part of a series of efforts to support property firms in raising funds. They will be allowed to sell new shares to outside investors, to buy real estate assets, conduct mergers and acquisitions, replenish working capital and repay debt. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index surged 8.1% with all 10 members ending the day higher. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 1.3% higher at $84.25 a barrel. Gold is slightly firmer this morning at $1,749 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose 7 basis points to 3.75%. And the US dollar is slightly higher this morning. The euro is trading at one dollar three and a quarter cents. The greenback's trading at 138.67 Japanese yen. One British pound buys one dollar nineteen and a half cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and thirty three cents. The US dollar lost one point one percent against the offshore yuan and 0.7 percent against the onshore yuan. Offshore yuan this morning is at seven point one four and a half. And Bitcoin is 1.5% higher at $16,400. Around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning in Australia. Stocks there have just opened. The SX200 is off a third of percent in Japan. The Nikkei 225 down half a percent. South Korean stocks are off a quarter of a percent. And after yesterday's surge here in Hong Kong, looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Eight oh nine, and it's time to welcome, as we always do on a Wednesday morning, Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. Morning, Stuart. And good morning to you, Peter. And it's nice to be here. Also with us is Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Peter and Stuart. Good evening, Barry. Good evening, Barry Wood, our International Economics Correspondent in Washington, D.C. Morning to you, Barry. Yes, sir. Good morning. Okay, let's start with what the the, the health authorities have reported um, on the mainland. They've announced plans to boost the vaccination rate amongst the elderly. That comes after several days of protests over China's zero COVID uh, uh, policy. However, it will stop short of mandating compulsory vaccinations, but it will promote vaccinations in places such as nursing homes and make those unwilling to get inoculated provide a reason for their refusal. In China, only 69% of those aged 60 and above and just 40% of over 80-year-olds have had booster shots. And if you compare that with the US, 70% of those over 65 have received a booster. In a briefing in Beijing, the National Health Commission said local authorities must respond to and resolve reasonable COVID requests from the public in a timely manner, reduce the inconvenience caused by outbreaks, and they called on local officials to avoid excessive COVID curbs and said China must reduce uh, the inconvenience caused by the economy. And an official at the briefing said residents' complaints were not about the zero COVID policy, but rather about excessive controls, random lockdowns and neglect 
supporting residents' requests. So, Stuart, what I'm reading into this is um, some relaxation, but zero COVID stays, and the failure of that's being blamed on the local authorities. But let me get your thoughts. Yes. Um, what I think is quite interesting and uh, quite surprising in a way, given how disciplined China generally is on these things, that there should still be such a large proportion who are unvaccinated. You know, when you consider China has had mandatory lockdowns for months and months on end in so many cities, um, they've had uh, really very heavy restrictions, and until very recently these had been accepted or, or partially accepted by many of the citizens of China. Now, of course, we know that they're not accepting them any, as, as much as they were before. But there still remains this very large proportion of people who have refused to be vaccinated. And yet China could have easily mandated that given the way in which it operates. So uh, uh, the surprise being that, um, of course, is more than 30 percent of the uh, of the over 60s population, which is quite a high number of people. Now, having said that, um, clearly, the need to be vaccinated is acknowledged by China, just as much as it has been everywhere else in the world. But their, their other concern, which they are not voicing, is that the efficacy rate of their own domestic vaccines is not as high as those of the Western rates. Mm. So uh, clearly... Um, it, it, there is an even greater importance in some respects to, to get people vaccinated as, uh, because of that, uh, and, and not just once, but uh, multiple vaccinations over a period of time. Um, but yes, and, and, and we're also seeing that uh, there are um, leading officials in the medical ministries uh, beginning to blame local um, uh, uh, municipals for problems as well as the, the low vaccination rate. Yeah, uh, clearly it's a big issue. And, and for our members, the disruption, the greater uncertainty that's that's developed really, really recently over the past month or so is overwhelming. You may have heard maybe overcompensating, but the U.S. Embassy in, in, in Beijing has suggested people get in Beijing uh, uh, get uh, about 14, 14 days of supplies of food and water, mm. which might be overdoing it, but it, it just indicates the uncertainty. So this affects their business, their their personal lives and other things. And of course, it does seem like there's been there's been overzealous uh, enforcement perhaps by by some local officials, but at the same time, they're they're trying to respond to uh, uh, to directions which are which are a little unclear. So what the bottom line is going forward, we're still very much in the dark about what's going to what's going to be happening, and of course, that's the nature of the disease. But as as uh, as Stewart said, the lack of mRNA vaccines in in China, even though they're trying to develop them, is a big issue. And BioNTech and Moderna already have them. China is developing them, but we don't know when that's going to happen. And so, in the meantime, uh, the cost of actually lifting the the controls, at least very quickly, are are substantial and, and probably uh, probably can't be done. Yeah, uh, Mark, I'd also add, I think, that um, you know, 
the Western media got terribly excited by all these protests yeah, going on yeah. in China, in Beijing, Shanghai, and a number of other cities. But the reality in those local cities was that uh, the, the, many of the protests were confined to very narrow areas. I was on, uh, on a call with some people in Shanghai on Monday who were commenting about the fact that most of the uh, protests that occurred in Shanghai were in the bar areas, for example. Well, <laughs> you know, that's, um, that doesn't surprise in, in many respects. But around the business areas of Shanghai, there was no sign whatsoever of either protests or indeed of any sort of controls or, 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 or stopping people going about their business. Oh, we've heard some dire warnings from organisations like the British Chamber of Commerce up in uh, China, also the European Chamber of Commerce. Are, are your members thinking about um, their, their future in, in China on the mainland and whether or not they ought to be upping sticks? Maybe not upping stick, and I, and I think most of them are not at this point. As has been pointed out many times, China is very important for all of these companies in many ways in terms of in terms of business, in terms of uh, supply, in, in many different ways. But certainly focusing more on many of them, China for China, looking for China plus one or two. Uh, you've seen some of that with uh, with Apple, uh, with a few other companies that have tried to move some of their production outside of China. Uh, that's understandable. But these are, are short-term issues, and they're a little un uncertain. And this uncertainty, in, in our case, we're we're looking again at our forecast for China and trying to uh, see how we can uh, we can revise it given the the circumstances because mm -hmm. what we thought would be maybe a better situation in early 2023 maybe won't be. But if you're a big company like um, Nike or Apple, you're going to survive. But it's really the SMEs, isn't it? The That's smaller right. companies that are really suffering through this. That's right, and also. They've been hit by some of their suppliers, uh, some of their partners in China, who have also been affected by that. We often don't see that because that's that's often not reported. But these are often SMEs mm. that are you know they're very important to these companies going forward, and obviously they're affected by the same issues that they're affecting the bigger companies as well. Barry, this is having a global impact because it's impacting the global economy, it's impacting global financial markets, also supply chains. It was very interesting, Apple. Um, I mean, it's being forecast that the turmoil at the Foxconn uh, plant in Zhengzhou may have cost Apple 6 million iPhone units in lost output. I mean, that's enormous, isn't it? It is, and that's a very big deal. I think in one sense, Apple is not disappointed because iPhone... 14 sales have not been robust. This will give them a bit of a breather. But yeah, this can't go on or Apple's going to be in real trouble. And what about the impact on the global economy? We really need China to be motoring, don't we, if uh, the, the global economy is going to get through this patch of rising interest rates and, and rising inflation. There's no doubt about that, Peter, and uh, that is the missing ingredient. When China is back online and really working full stop as they normally do, then that's going to have a huge positive global impact. Let me add just two things to what Stuart was saying about the pandemic and the increases in cases. I think one, Stuart, there may be a cultural difference here. People who are in their elderly years in China are very skeptical of these, these uh, 
the, these vaccines, and, and, and that doesn't exist in a lot of Western countries. And secondly, you raise the valid point, if the government really was serious about getting the old people vaccinated, they would mandate it, but they haven't. Yeah, and I, and I think what um, is very different about China is that whereas in Western world our uh, leaders have all publicly gone out and had their vaccination, they've even been filmed having their vaccination, Xi Jinping in China has not. And he hasn't, he hasn't even told people whether he is vaccinated. He is, he is known to be uh, somewhat petrified of catching COVID and and after the recent um, Asian meetings, he's been very adjacent to people who did catch COVID. So we don't know um, to what extent he may have may have actually caught it in the last couple of weeks. Um, but uh, but quite quite clearly, if if he is if he himself is not vaccinated, or, and or if his other leaders in China are not vaccinated, then that's not really setting the example that they're trying to demand of their people. We've got some important data coming out of the mainland later this morning, the, uh, the November PMI uh, data for the manufacturing and non-manufacturing sector, both expected to weaken. But what do you think they're going to show us? I mean, a lot of economists seem to be now forecasting that China's economy is going to turn negative month on uh, quarter on quarter in the fourth quarter of this year. Well, that's not a great surprise, really. I think, it, I, mean, it, it, I mean, we've seen a lot of the reasons why it should turn negative. And um, as, as Barry's highlighted, the slowdown is affecting other parts of the world. So if China slows down, other people will slow down. Um, and, and that is quite likely to have quite a big knock-on effect in the global G- GDP as well. No, absolutely. And that that's... <laughs> That's one of the factors that that we're tr- we're trying to con- consider, and I don't know whether it's going to be negative growth or negative growth reported uh, this coming this quarter or not. But nonetheless, this, the, our our forecasts, I'm sure everybody else's, have been revised going forward as well. I mean, China still may look a little bit better than than some of the rest of the world, but at the same time, that engine of growth uh, to help prop up the the uh, global economy is looks a little less. Uh, Uh, less strong these days. Okay, let's turn our attention to the U.S. um, because a series of Fed officials have been reiterating that the rate hiking cycle is far from over. James Bullard, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, uh, he's a well-known Fed hawk, said the Fed needs to get rates higher to bring inflation down and then they may need to get to the the 5 to 7% range. He said markets are underpricing the risk that the Fed may be more aggressive. And the most important thing is for the Fed to get to a sufficiently restrictive level of rates, where um, rates can be kept at a sufficiently high level all through this, all through next year and into 2024. He also warned that U.S. unemployment could hit five percent next year. And Barry, why are we seeing so many Fed officials come out at the moment? Because he's not the only one really talking about or trying to talk down the prospect that this uh, this rate hike, uh, hike cycle, a uh, rate hiking cycle, might come to a close soon. Well, that's that's a great question, and I think it has to do with the experience of the United States and the Federal Reserve of the 1970s, and Arthur Burns, and even uh, Alan Greenspan later on, that uh, there is a risk. They're all singing from the same hymnal uh, that says, look, if you stop, then you're, you're very close to, to stop, go. 
And mm -hmm. I think that uh, this remarkable consensus we're seeing, I mean, after all, there's never been in modern times a 4% rate increase in the Fed funds rate this quickly. And yet the economy is doing very well. I'm skeptical of Bullard saying that we're going to get to 5% unemployment when you've only got 3.7 at the moment and there's still help wanted signs in almost every establishment that you look at. It so seems it's, it's a very interesting thing. It seems that in the U.S., even if people lose their jobs, they seem to be fairly confident that they're going to get a new one fairly quickly, and maybe with some good reason as well. That's correct. I mean, look, when you've got uh, signs all over the place, if you're at the lower end of the skill ladder, you know that you can find a job. If you're in the tech sector, that might be another question. But yes, I think you're right, Peter. Most people in the U.S. who are in risk either unemployed, out of work at the moment, or looking for it, are pretty confident they're going to find a job. And we got the, uh, the unemployment data, the non-farms payroll data, um, coming out on Friday. What should, we, what should we be looking for there? Well, that's, that's a, another amazing thing, which shows that this Fed tightening cycle is, is against all odds, working so far, because we're going to bring probably 200,000 jobs created in the month of November. That's lower than what it's been earlier in the year, but you'd expect that given the rate increases. So, yeah, the, uh, uh, I know you want to talk about consumer confidence, but it's no surprise that's down, and it's no surprise that the number of jobs being created is less than before. But it's still a robust or relatively robust U.S. economy. The, the one area, though, that does seem to be being hit hard, maybe not surprisingly, is the housing market, isn't it? We are seeing prices fall now, uh, both on a monthly basis. They're down 1.2%, the latest data um, says, which I suppose is not uh, surprising, given where mortgage rates uh, um, are, are these days. Well, that's, that's correct, and I don't think that's a problem. The housing market is, is a little bit too strong, it can use some correction, but it's not at all like 2006-7 when you had collateralized debt obligations and you had all of this business about subprime mortgages. The whole thing was a mess. The housing sector is pretty robust, so a mild correction is being uh, you know, withstood without many problems. Yes, you're right. It's the increase in interest rates that has slowed it down. So, so, Barry, if we come to your pre previous predictions, it, um, we've talked about uh, increases. They were 75 basis points last few times. And then I think last time we talked about this, you, you, you were confident of a, a 50 basis points probable increase next time. <laughs> <laughs> Can I put you on the, on, on the line and say, would, do you think that's still going to be the case? Or do you think it could? Absolutely. Be yeah. Absolutely. And, and thank you for reminding listeners that Barry is often wrong, or at least sometimes <laughs> wrong. But, well, you're, you're yeah, I think when, are you really? <laughs> <laughs> when the Fed meets in less than two weeks now, yeah. clearly there's going to be another rate increase. But it's not going to be a fifth 75 basis point rise. It's going to be 50 basis points. So, yes, I'm on the record, Stuart. All right, we've, we've written that down. We'll be watching on December the 14th when, when the Fed meets. But let me ask, um, let me ask you, um, uh, Stuart and Mark, though, that the markets now are pricing in a terminal rate. In other words, the, the peak, if you like, that interest rates are going to hit of about five and a quarter percent at the end of the first quarter next year. What impact is that going to have rates over five percent on Hong Kong? Well, for, well first of all, um, James Bullard from the Fed said the 
a range of 5 to 7% was what his target was. So if 5 and a quarter is the, is the terminal target rate of the market, maybe the market's underestimating where it could possibly lead to. Um, secondly, however, of course, as the U.S. has been leading this interest rate increased charge, it has actually strengthened the U.S. dollar. And the consequence of that has been to improve the Hong Kong dollar rate, too, of course, around all these other currencies. But it will have the knock-on effect that um, I'm sure we'll see uh, rates in Europe, uh, UK, Australia um, go up um, and probably very much in line with whatever the U.S. does. And all of this is to try to, uh, as has been said already, try to cap off uh, a very strong inflation numbers that have been appearing recently. And um, that, that in itself has been caused by, very largely by energy prices, uh, particularly so in Europe, where inflation is still in double digits in most countries. Just as an aside, today, today, later today in our, in our group, we're doing a session on raising prices in regard to inflation because many of these many companies especially many individuals haven't had much experience in raising prices mm-hmm. over their careers and how to do that and also now even as as some of the pressure has eased especially on commodity prices they have to think about margins and and about holding margins so this is we've got a, a record turnout for this because there's a lot of interest in this issue yeah, i would think i would think mark that that would take a, a lot of interest because uh, 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 of course the experience of raising prices uh, especially for medium and small businesses um, is not there but it's it's something they've got to be able to do it's just simply they have to do it and i i would think many consumers their customers will not be too unhappy about that they, of course people complain about rising prices but people also understand why prices rise too and uh, yes, we don't like it, but we still want, if we still want something, we'll pay up for it. So these companies have training modules now for their staff yeah. on how to do this. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you all very much. Sadly, we've run out of time. You heard there Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant, and now International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take another look at the markets for this morning. The SX200 in Australia is off a quarter of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 right now down 0.6%. The Cosby is pretty well flat in South Korea, and that's how it looks for the Hang Seng as well at the Open uh, this morning. Before I go, let me tell you once again about our charity auction in aid of Operation Santa Claus 2022. It's a 24-hour online auction that we're going to open during tomorrow's Money Talk. Lots of fabulous items donated by local companies and organisations that you can bid for. All the money we raise will go to the 15 amazing charities that every day are helping the needy of Hong Kong. You can take a look right now at the items you can bid for when the auction opens at 8.25am tomorrow and you can register in advance. And even if you don't want to bid on any of the items, you can still make a donation to Operation Santa Claus. You can actually do that right now. And you do it by going to the Radio 3 homepage, www.rthk.hk forward slash Radio 3, or take a look at the Money Talk Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. So we'll be opening the auction for tomorrow morning at 8.25, and it will go on for exactly 24 hours. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for... 
uh, back chat. That's coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast is going to be cloudy, one or two rain patches. The temperatures are going to fall appreciably to about a minimum of 15 degrees at night, a couple of degrees lower even in the new territories. And that's going to continue over the next couple of days. And then they will rise progressively over the weekend. It's 25 degrees right now, 85% relative humidity. Just gone 8.30. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The nation's latest manned space mission has blasted off with three Taikonauts bound for the Tiangong space station. Erin Tam reports. Five, four, three, two, one, ignition. The Shenzhou 15 craft launched from the Jiuquan Satellite Launch Center in the northwest of the country after a sea-off ceremony for the three Taikonauts was held. On board were Taikonauts Fei Junlong, Deng Chengming, and Zhang Lu, with Fei as the commander. The space station will be handed over to them within a week by the three Taikonauts who arrived at the station in early June. Police have launched a murder investigation after a 64-year-old man was found fatally stabbed in a pool of his own blood at a building in Mong Kok. Steve Dunthorne reports. <laughs> Police had been called to Hoifu Court shortly after 6 o'clock after being alerted by neighbours to someone calling for help. They found the victim in a corridor with what are thought to be chop wounds to his neck, head and hand. Ambulance crews rushed the man to Kwangwa Hospital where he was declared dead a short time later. Police say a 51-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murder. He was found on a window ledge with a bottle of corrosive liquid and injuries to his arms. He was taken, conscious, to Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Police say the suspect is being detained for inquiries. The Moncock District Crime Squad is investigating. A group working with grassroots families says tenants of the SAR's First Light public housing flats might need help with transport after the government earmarked four sites in the new territories. Officials hope to have 1,000 of the prefabricated short-term homes ready in the 2024-25 financial year and are asking LegCo for $27 billion in funding. It's hoped the homes will allow people waiting for permanent public housing to move out of subdivided flats. But the Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organisation, Silai San, says many residents are settled in urban areas. I think the location is quite, it's a bit far compared to those divided flat tenants. Most of them, they may be more in Kaolong side or urban area. So they will expect urban area, public housing rather than remote area. So I think the government, they will need to assist them for their transportation, go to work or go to school. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong. And I'm Andrew Work. On today's program, we're looking at transitional housing project in Yunlong that appears to be falling flat. Nearly half of the units at a housing project run by Hong Kong Shinkong Hui Welfare Council are still vacant after tenants started moving in six months ago. 
The welfare group expressed hope that the government would do more to promote the flats. But why are people not taking advantage of the new project, given Hong Kong's acute housing shortage? Is it about the lack of promotion, the location, or something else? And after 9.15, and does size matter? Yes, it does, when it comes to diamond engagement rings, according to a new survey. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call at 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our studio Dr. Ma Hock Chung, the CEO of Pokoi Hospital Board Office. And on the line, we have Jenny Cho from the Society for Community Organization, who runs the Yingwa Street Transitional Housing Project in Shamshui Po, and Anthony Wong, the Business Director of the Hong Kong Council of Social Service. Good morning.